Welcome to the Wards Auto Podcast. I am Senior Editor David Kiley. Since we began this series last June, we have been discussing various aspects of the auto industry's transition from the internal combustion engine to one centered around electrification. Today, we're going to talk about the link between electrifying cars and autonomous driving. Without getting into the nitty-gritty tech of this connection, I'm going to sum it up this way. When you wire a car with a whole lot of sensors and cameras and other hardware and software to make the car drive itself, you create a pretty big need for electricity. And an internal combustion engine vehicle and its electrical architecture are just not optimized for that kind of electrical draw. But an electric car is. So, as automakers develop and refine their platform and architectures for electric mobility, they're also building in capacity to run technology stacks dedicated to autonomous driving. This week, I'm going to take you on a ride with me in a test car outfitted by Ghost Autonomy, a company based in Mountain View, California. Well, where else would it be based? That has a technology stack allowing for L4 autonomy. Now, what is L4 autonomy? Level four is considered to be fully autonomous driving, although a human driver can still request or take control, and the car, of course, still has a cockpit. In level four, the car can handle the majority of driving situations independently. Now, stay with me here as I talk with Ghost CMO Jay Girak about this pretty amazing technology as we let the car drive us down I-75 in Michigan. Now, for some perspective, before we take our ride, Ford has a system that it makes available on some of its cars called Blue Cruise, which is considered level two. Blue Cruise allows drivers to drive hands-free on highways that have clear lane markers. Blue Cruise, in fact, allows for true hands-free driving on these pre-qualified sections of divided highways called hands-free blue zones that make up over 130,000 miles of North American roads. And that number is expanding all the time. The system automatically shuts off and requires the driver to take back the wheel of the car in congested traffic, bad weather driving conditions, things like that. And it also requires that the driver keep eyes on the road. Now, that's just a bunch of words. Let me give you some real life description of how Blue Cruise Level 2 driving works before we get into Ghost Autonomy's Level 4 car. I drive my son to college in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I did it in a Ford F-150 equipped with Blue Cruise. Now, that's about 16 hours of mostly highway driving. I was able to take my hands off the wheel for long stretches of highway. Sometimes my hands would be off the wheel for 45 minutes at a time, let's say. Now, some of the times the truck turned off the Blue Cruise and flashed me to take the wheel back when I was going through Cincinnati, let's say and the traffic got congested. It also tells me to take the wheel back when I'm exiting the highway on a ramp. I had to put my hands back on the wheel. And let me add something else. 
when I had Blue Cruise engaged and just barely rested my head on the headrest, the camera in the dashboard thought I was nodding off and flashed an alert with sound to tell me to put my hands back on the wheel. The system can be very sensitive. So there's a big difference between that level two and level four that we're about to drive with ghost autonomy. Now, broadly speaking, the way ghost autonomy system works is this way. It's a system of cameras and sensors all around the car that read the stripes on the road, the road signs, the speed limit signs, as well as fixed objects, moving objects, pedestrians, et cetera. Depending on how the system reads the landscape and roadscape all around the car, the sensors affect the accelerator, the steering wheel, and the brake systems to keep the vehicle and other cars and pedestrians safe. So, sounds pretty good, right? What's the controversy? Simple. Are regulators and we as a society satisfied that technology is better at keeping us safe than humans with hands on the wheel 100% of the time? When we come back from this message from our sponsor, we will take you for a ride on the future of driving. This podcast is brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. I'm driving with Jay Girak, who's the chief marketing officer for Ghost, and we are leaving a Starbucks parking lot in Troy, Michigan. And Jay, you said, how many miles are on this Camry? We are in a 2017 Toyota Camry SE with 173,756 miles in it. And the reason that we're in this car is that Ghost has a system that is L4 on the autonomous driving spectrum, which means that we're gonna be able to go ramp to ramp completely hands off with Jay who's driving because state regs say I can't be behind the wheel. But we're leaving the parking lot and um, we're gonna we're gonna put this system to the test on uh, I guess I I-75. I'm gonna do a little narration here of what's taking place. Uh, and I, I should also say that the ghost system is not LiDAR based, it is stereo camera sensor and radar based. That's correct. Okay. And the reason that we're doing this is that there seems to be a gradual shift away from LiDAR to solve the higher level of autonomy into this stereo camera system. What What is the, Jay, if you can hit a few bullet points on why Ghost believes that the stereo camera plus radar uh, and sensor system beats LiDAR. Well, when we started Ghost in 2017, one of the biggest focal points was scale. At that time, 
you had a number of robo-taxi companies that had come to market but had very expensive sensor suites and as a result, very limited applications for uh, the mass market of everyday drivers. So when we built our system, we restricted ourselves to using cameras and um, chips that were readily available at the tens to hundreds of millions of scale, where you could feasibly put these systems or these products into everyday vehicles um, that you and I would drive to work, not a half million dollar robo taxi. So we are, we're on I-75 headed south. Jay has taken his hands off the wheel. And we're driving. And we're driving. We're, we're rock solid in the middle of the lanes. Now, when I drove, for example, Ford Blue Cruise, okay, which I'm sure you're familiar with, my experience was driving my son down to Baton Rouge to college, and a lot of that drive from, from Michigan is highway. And so I was able to take my hands off the wheel for big, long stretches, uh, and, and it was great because it saved me kind of energy, if you will, on, on what was going to be a, ultimately a 16-, 17-hour drive. So what is the difference between this L4 system and a system like Blue Cruise in terms of the autonomy? Ultimately, I think an L4 system can never give up. So it has to handle every single possible situation you encounter on a freeway and be able to put you in a safe position. Uh, as you know, with existing driver assistance systems, they'll drive some of the time, but when it gets in a situation that it doesn't quite understand or doesn't feel like it can navigate safely, it relies on you, the human, uh, to immediately intervene and take control. And in an L4 system, um, the requirement changes that this, the car must always be able, the system must always be able to put the car into a safe position no matter what. Uh, it can never uh, revert back to the driver and say, hey, please take over to be safe. So when I drove Blue Cruise, one of the pieces of that system was even if I decided to put my head back a little bit and, and rest it on the headrest, I would get an alarm, you know, because it's reading the driver from the dashboard camera. And so it would be like hands on wheel or, or pay attention or something like that. But with this, with the L4 system that you have in this car, we could drive, I should correct myself, we're actually on 75 North, so we're heading to upstate Michigan. Um, you could be watching a Netflix movie, uh, you know, or, or reading a book and not have your eyes on the road. Am I right? That's correct. That's the idea that uh, when this car is going into production, the driver will be able to be totally attention free. You can look at your phone, you can watch a movie, you can read a book. Um, you can relax and chat with people in the car. Uh, that's the, the big gap between driver assistance and attention-free autonomy that we're trying to achieve. And, and talk about the difference between this system and, say, Tesla Autopilot. So I think Tesla has developed a similar system in terms of relying heavily on camera, and I guess they're now also reintroducing radar. So we have a similar philosophy in our sensor suite and our desire to bring uh, high levels of autonomy to cars at every price point. So I think there's a lot of similarities there. Of course, Tesla has chosen 
to go uh, more broad with its L2 Plus driver assistance capability instead of going deep and being able to go all the way to L4 in a specific domain like the highway. Um, that's a design choice that they've made, doing more breadth, including urban environments, etc., at a lower level autonomy. We just think that the most important thing at autonomy is being able to actually not pay attention. So we focused on a more narrow domain, which would be highway driving, but delivering a more advanced level autonomy. Talk to us about, for example, the uh, level of, of testing and modeling that goes into this system. Because I know I, I've been through a lot of presentations and there's a lot of um, debate and controversy and differences among companies as to whether, like Elon Musk talks about the fact that the car has to, has to learn, you know, the, the road in, in real time, real life situations. Other companies I've talked to, you know, talk about extensive modeling and testing that before they would want to put an L4 into the hands of, of customers. Sure. I think Justin probably would be the better person to answer the question in terms of the specifics of our engineering processes. But I think that the, the key for us that goes to the supplier is to, to go out and develop a car that we can we believe can be delivered at an L4 level of quality. But it's ultimately up to our OEM partners to decide how they introduce it to customers. I wouldn't be surprised that a system that was even capable of L4 was introduced as an L2 plus or L3 system simply to let consumers get familiar with it. So it's our job to deliver something that's super, super safe. But ultimately, how it's marketed and introduced to the public is something that we have to do in partnership with the OEM and partnerships with consumers. So a consumer has to think something and believe something is safe to fully trust it and turn over control. So I wouldn't be surprised if systems that were L4 capable were first used by consumers as L2, L2 plus or L3 systems where they're still sort of monitoring until they build up the confidence to totally let go. And I think that's more about how consumers use products and develop comfort with them than um, anything that we could describe. So we're on 75 North, and as we've been driving, uh, for example, the, the van that's in front of us, it hit its brakes, brake lights came on, and, and our car also broke, you know, in... Sure in a little lane change here, if you'd like. Yeah, in shadow. We're going to change lanes now. What would happen if in the lane that we're in, if about 100 yards up the road, there was one of those road gators, you know, which is the, the tread that's come off a semi, and it, it's laying in the middle of the lane, how would, how would this vehicle with the ghost system react? Well, it would stop. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, we have um, one of our core technologies is a universal object detection system based on cameras where we use stereo cameras to detect any solid object uh, on the road. So we detect the road plane and all the obstacles that might be on the road. And one of the key insights uh, when we went on to develop the system was we didn't want to want the requirement to recognize objects to be able to avoid them. So, you know, existing systems today rely heavily on object recognition to uh, create a scene and understand how to navigate it. We just see solid objects. And if there is a road gator or a barrel or an object that we've never seen before, we're going to detect that as a solid obstacle that we don't want to, oops, a little lane change there, um, that we don't want to hit. 
and uh, we're going to avoid it. So I think the, the the key insight to this system is that no matter what obstacle is in place, our system is going to detect it without needing to recognize it, even if it's very unusual or never been seen before. So I'm thinking right now in terms of the system and autonomous, uh, a commute that I no longer have, but uh, when I lived in New Jersey, I worked in New York, and this is long before remote work, so I had to go into the office every day. And I would be on suburban roads and then a highway, and then I would reach the toll plaza that's before the Lincoln Tunnel, and that becomes very, very stop and go and slow. And then once you get past the toll plaza, there's a long ramp of a few miles of, it is literally every morning a stop and go to crawl before you get to the toll plaza that takes you into the Lincoln Tunnel. And it was a rotten, awful commute every day. And so how would L4 have changed that experience for me? Well, I think you get your life back. I know we've all had the experience where uh, we've been in a car, we've been driving, and we wish we were doing something else, whether you're coming back from work uh, after a long day, uh, whether you're on a, you know, a long road trip with the family. Um, I think that we've all had the experience where uh, we'd prefer not to drive. And what's great about these attention-free systems is you finally have the freedom uh, to do something else with your time because the system is so safe that... Um, it can take complete control of the car no matter what scenario happens. So uh, whatever you want to be doing, whether it be you know, text a few friends on the phone, uh, you know, watch a little YouTube video, read a book, whatever it may be, um, I think the opportunity with an attention-free car is to do something else with your time in those moments where you'd just rather be doing something else. So I assume that you're a student of what goes on out there and that you know, somebody in your company, which you told me is about 110 people. That's right. You're based in Mountain View, California, with an office in Dallas, and now an office in Detroit. What What is the, the cost advantage of the stereo camera plus radar system versus a LIDAR-based system? Sure. Well, the origins of the business were watching the extraordinary improvement in mobile phone technology since the advent of the iPhone. Uh, The chips and sensors that power these devices in our pockets have become extremely, extremely capable at a really attractive price point. So the reason that we built this system with uh, cameras and radars was we we saw that there was so much R&D and so much progress in the... um, field of mobile phones, we wanted to leverage those technologies for uh, a a new purpose, which is, you know, an ultra-reliable autonomous driving experience. So, um, I forgot the origins of your question. Uh, (laughs) That's okay. I apologize. That's okay because... That's okay because I was... I was was listening to you, but I wanted to cut in... Jump in. ...and ask you, so, so you got off 75 North... Yes. And did a U-turn, and now we're on 75 South. But when you got off the highway, your hands were back on the on the wheel. Right. And right. and when you did the U-turn off the highway, your hands were on it. Could you have done that without your hands on the wheel? Yeah. So 
currently the system is delivering hands-free, attention-free driving on highways, but we have not done uh, full highway on-off merges yet. So we're able to do lane changes, but we're still developing the mergers for later this year. So at the uh, end of this year, we should be able to navigate uh, on and off the highway type experiences uh, like you just identified. Now, how would that actually manifest? Because the car doesn't know and the system doesn't know where you want to go. So you're on 75 North, but you've decided, oh, I want to get off here for for a Starbucks or I want to do, oh, I missed my my exit so I'm going to do a U-turn unless if your address if your destination is plugged into the nav system or, or you're mapping it'll know where you're going but, but navigation is definitely something that we are we, we have in, in in development right now and the product that at the end of this year will have navigation so it will know where you want to go and it'll uh, make sure it gets you there in terms of exits so you can of course abort at any time and, and change your, your destination but we will have navigation uh, in the product this year. It's already under development. So there's no there's no substitute. Like the car didn't know that you wanted to make a U-turn. So so you, I didn't, you we didn't tell it that, but we could in the future say we're going to make a U-turn at Baldwin. And, and would that be voice controlled by the driver? It could be. Uh, I think that that's definitely an option. I think there's a lot of really interesting work being done with voice control right now, and particularly with these GPT models in the cloud. Uh, I think. There's really attractive, easy ways to get voice controls into the car right now. So um, it's in, definitely in uh, in play to, to put voice controls into the navigation system. All right, so we were off exit 72 on uh, I-75. We went north. How would that actually do? So if, if the system is responsive to voice command, do you envision that I'll be able to say at exit 83 get off and do a U-turn onto 75 South, and the car will be able to do that. Yes, I think so. Of course, you need to give it enough lead time to do it safely, but uh, absolutely, it, it's similar to changing navigation in Google Maps. Any feature you can imagine using Google Maps or Apple Maps for uh, adjusting your route, you could do it with your voice, and the car could respond to that, no problem. The navigation layer is something that we've all experienced in our phones using uh, these various apps, and the the use case would be fairly similar from a user perspective, getting those inputs into the driving system, whether it's voice or uh, done with, with uh, uh, manual input. So when Tesla's autopilot, when there's a, an accident, uh, the media, you know, is, is all over it. And so when you hear that uh, there was an accident with autopilot, and, and actually, you know, there's been action recently where, where NHTSA, you know, basically ordered a recall you know, based on accident data, is your company, like, is that part of your charter to sort of kind of swarm all over those situations and data to learn from it? Of course. So in terms of the regulatory and legal side of this, it's a a huge piece of the puzzle in automotive and, of course, especially in autonomous driving. Our general counsel, Jackie Glassman, uh, was uh, chief counsel for NHTSA. Um, and has joined us and really led our safety and regulatory piece. So we are constantly monitoring what's going on with other companies and how the government's responding and how we can improve upon some of the issues that have come up and be as safe as possible. Uh, there's no doubt that safety is something that's core to what we're doing and it's core to our customer base, right? We uh, sell into and work with these tier ones and OEMs that have 
massive, really important reputations that uh, we need to support. So we are very much uh, following what's going on in government and trying to do things as well as possible so we can really be out there with a safe product that we can be proud of and our OEM partners can be proud of as well. There are times when I wonder if L4 and ultimately L5 driving is the answer to a question nobody was asking. But then I remember the old Henry Ford adage that if I listened to my customers, we would have given them faster horses instead of the automobile. So I go back and forth about how dominant autonomous driving and ultimately L4 and maybe you know L5 will become in my lifetime, you know, over the next 20, 25 years. But it does seem like the industry wants to go that route. What, what is your perspective on why we're, we're all pushing towards autonomous driving? The car has been an essential part of American life and now uh, many people's lives across the globe for a long time. And I think what I want people to know about Ghost is we absolutely believe in cars and we believe in drivers and we think that cars are going to be around for a long time. Our goal in developing autonomous driving is not to replace drivers or change cars. It's just to make them a little bit better, a little bit more fun to drive, and to do a little bit more of what you want them to do uh, and a little bit less of what you don't want them to do. And I think that the experience that we are really trying to deliver here is one where there are times when every single driver has been in the car and said, you know, I don't really want to drive right now. I'd rather uh, you know, call my wife or uh, spend a little time reading when we're in traffic or whatever else it might be. And Ghost is trying to deliver just a little bit smarter car that can do those things where you can drive, you can do whatever you want uh, when you're excited to do so, but you also now have the choice to do something else. And that's really just the evolution of a product where uh, it gets smarter and a little bit more attentive to exactly what you want to be doing at that time. Well, one of the things I think about is safety. We all are trying to figure out how do we cut down dramatically, if we can, the number of traffic fatalities that occur every year. And I also think about older drivers. You know, I'm the last year of the baby boom. So baby boomers today are age 60 to 77. And one of the hardest things to do, I know from when my parents were alive, was taking the keys away because their reflexes are are less, you know, all of that. And it's a tough day. Do you feel like moving more into L4 Autonomous will, A, ultimately cut down on the number of, of fatalities because the software reacts faster than human, especially aging humans can? And secondly, will keep older drivers on the road safer longer? Absolutely. I think that safety is something that will dramatically improve with autonomous vehicles. And when you look at the data on on car accidents, and particularly uh, the tragic fatalities, a shocking number of them are solo drivers who are behind the wheel on a freeway and who have fallen asleep. And if the car simply knew you had fallen asleep and was able to maintain a lane, slow down the vehicle and put you in a safe position, thousands of people uh, would be alive every year that otherwise uh, are are passing away. And I think that that is the 
story of a car that doesn't do exactly what you want it to do. It's a car that is um, simply a, a big piece of metal that's just driving aimlessly. And giving a little bit of intelligence to the car to make the car a little bit smarter can make it a lot, lot safer. So there's no doubt in my mind that autonomous vehicles are going to dramatically, dramatically improve safety outcomes because so many of the, the fatal accidents and the worst accidents out there can easily be avoided simply by having a car that can slow down when the driver is uh, not paying attention or, or you know, completely asleep uh, in that context. Jay, I have one last question for you, and that is, why Ghost? <laughs> sure. The name of the company is Ghost because you know, we think it's the, the thing that brings your car to life. The name comes from the Japanese concept of the kami, which is the spirit that animates all things. Not just people, not just animals, but also uh, the trees and the objects around us in our lives. So the ghost in the machine here is intended uh, to be the spirit that lives in your car, brings it to life, animates it, and of course protects you in those, those most critical, critical situations. So it has nothing to do with Patrick Swayze. And... <laughs> okay. He's an inspiration to us all, of course. Of course, it's... it's Patrick's face is important to all of us, but this is more about, uh, you know, the ghost in the machine and um, the thing that brings your car to life. All right. And, and, of course, you want us to all believe in ghosts. That's right. Okay. I believe in ghosts. I will, too. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jay. I appreciate your time and the drive. It's been great. Awesome. Thank you, David. Really appreciate you being here. This podcast was brought to you by American Axle and Manufacturing. AAM is designing, engineering, and manufacturing award-winning vehicle technologies to power a more sustainable future. Their team is pushing the boundaries of disruption all around the world with over 80 global locations in 18 countries. To learn more and join the team that is bringing the future faster, visit aam.com careers. Thank you for listening and thanks to Ghost Autonomy. And CMO Jack Gurak, remember, you can subscribe to Ward's Auto Podcast on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or you can listen right off the Ward's Auto website. Each episode has an article that we put on the homepage. And inside that article, there is a graphic that says, listen now, click on that, and it plays the podcast right off our page on your phone, laptop, or tablet. I'm David Kiley, Senior Editor at Ward's Auto. Graham Mitchell is our engineer. Till next time, enjoy the ride.